the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think most of us might have an understanding of what the purpose of worship really is. But today we're dialing into it deeper as we get a clearer view of the purpose of worship, thereby bringing us a greater understanding and a greater delight in worship. If you struggle with worship, stick around. We have some help directly ahead. Worship is our topic. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Welcome to today's program. We invite you to join us here in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 as we continue our look at the purpose of worship. Now, most will say, yeah, the purpose is to glorify God. But then the question is, what does it mean to glorify God? And how does our worship do that? And how does that encourage us to be more of a worshiper than anything else? These are questions we are answering today here on Abounding Grace. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast. When a prophet came before the king and said, I have a word from the Lord, the king stood up. Why? to show his submission to the king of kings. In Nehemiah, it says, the prophet opened the book of the law and all the people stood. Yet, so many churches today are irreverent when God's word is read. Our obligation to worship God is in direct proportion to his worthiness to receive it. So we have to ask this question. How worthy is God? Nehemiah 9.5 says this, God is above all blessing and praise. Does that register with you? God is above all blessing and praise. I'm sure most of you are like me. And there have been times in worship when you have been so moved by the sense of God's presence that your heart has been moved to heights of new praise, where you are moved to reverence and honor God like you never have before. It's almost like another state of being. And no, I'm not talking about some kind of mystical experience. It is just a heightened awareness of how awesome God is, how far above us He is, yet He condescends to care for us. Well, here is the downer to all of that. No matter what state of heightened praise you may find yourself in, God is greater than that. God is more majestic and deserving of more reverence and honor than any one of us is capable of giving. He is more worthy than we are capable of understanding. The majesty of God transcends our loftiest thoughts of Him. 
King David said, these thoughts are too great for me. I can't comprehend them. Isaiah 57, 15 speaks of God as the high and exalted one who lives forever. Psalm 113.4 said, God is high above all the nations. His glory is above all the heavens. Brothers and sisters, sit back sometime. Close your eyes and try to contemplate the glory of God and His majesty, sitting on a throne, high and exalted above all glory and praise. And then I guarantee you will realize how fall, far short you fall of being able to comprehend the true majesty of God. When God commands us to give Him the glory due unto His name, we must, like the Puritans, ask God to forgive us of our feeble worship. We haven't even begun to approach what it means to give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. God's worth is inseparably tied to His greatness. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, there are two verses that talk about a worship service I hope someday takes place right here at Reformed Heritage because it would be the greatest experience we could ever have on earth. It says, it came about that when the priest came from the holy place, that, he, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. What was that cloud? Verse 11 tells us, For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Think about it. At some point, someone might get up here to minister, and the glory of God be so evident in this place, because you, the people, had prepared your hearts, because our praises of gratitude were so overflowing, because in our singing we were lifted up in praise and exaltation of Christ. And the minister hesitates to get up because he can't top what the people have already done. The glory of God fills the house of the Lord. Revelation 15 says, The temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Would that not be outstanding if that happened right here in this building? But the greatest expression of the greatness of God comes to us from the book of Isaiah. Please turn to chapter 6 of Isaiah. I know this is a very familiar passage to you. But look at it today, if you can, with the awe that Isaiah must have felt. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Now get the picture of this, beloved. 
This is an awe-inspiring vision Isaiah is given of what it is like to worship God in heaven. And the first thing he sees is the Lord. But he doesn't then focus on his own problems like we do when we come into God's presence with our prayers. He sees the Lord. And he doesn't see the Lord as his good buddy. It's just me and Jesus, my good old bro, getting through life together. No, Isaiah sees him high and lifted up, sitting on his throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, do you know what the train is? It is that which flows from the headpiece of a bride as she comes down the aisle to be joined in marriage to her spouse. And here is the train on the robe of Christ, the train of glory, and it fills the temple from wall to wall and ceiling to the floor. And there is also smoke filling, filling the temple, another symbol of Christ's glory. Then you have the seraphim flying about with two wings and covering themselves with the other four wings because of their reverence for God. And all they are doing is talking about God and his holiness. Now look at verse 4. And if this happens in any church, this is exactly the way it will happen. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The minister won't be able to minister because the house of the Lord will be filled with God's glory. And look at the response of Isaiah. Oh man, what a glorious sight. No one has seen what I've seen. I'm going to go out and start a new religion. Oh no. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone or ruined. And by using the word woe there, Isaiah is pronouncing a curse on himself. Remember when Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe unto you. He was cursing them. And Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. Woe unto me. Here is Isaiah. He's in the midst of a heavenly worship service and he begins to confess his sins. Here is a man who has been called by God to be his prophet, speaking the words of God, saying, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. Are you aware of the fact that if anything the ancient prophet said didn't come to fruition, he was put to death? You think you have pressure on your jobs. What in the world would make the prophet of God Say, I am a man of unclean lips. Well, we are told what at the end of the verse. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, today we get a vision of God anyway similar to Isaiah's vision. The first thing we are going to do is to stop talking about what we need. And we are going to talk about what we really are, sinful people. We need Isaiah's vision of the glory and majesty and holiness of God. And then we will experience Isaiah's worship. 
when we have Isaiah's vision of God and his majesty. Now another question should be asked. If God deserves our worship, then how much attention does he deserve in his worship? How much of our concentration does he deserve in his worship? Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. God gets it all. He gets everything about us. Now remember in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where God gives us the great commandment, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All. How much of your soul? All of your soul. How much of your mind? All of your mind. Not a part of your mind, not a part of your heart that you haven't given up to the rest of the world. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the other time this is repeated in the gospel, it says, with all your strength. We only begin to approximate the worship that God calls us to when we leave this worship service exhausted, not bored, not tired of sitting there, not half asleep from too much activity and not enough sleep the day before, but exhausted because you put every part of your being into the worship of God. When you have prayed with intensity, when you have sung more enthusiastically than you ever have before, Brothers and sisters, Jesus sweated drops of blood. We don't even break a sweat when we worship. With all of our strength and all of our mind, he says. And that is where we are really losing it today. We much too often don't even engage our minds in our worship of God. And yet God commands us to let all that is within us Bless His holy name. All of our concentration, all of our energy, all of our focus. Stephen Sharnock, the great Puritan, said, The first ground of our worship to God is the infinite excellency of His nature. Therefore, worship ought to be suitable to the nature of God, suitable to His worthiness. When our worship begins to approximate the nature of God, the holiness of God, then we have just begun to fill the command to worship God as He demands to be worshipped. Do you see how far off we are, brothers and sisters? Do you see why you can never think you have arrived? Back in Psalm 29, we read about the three things we are to give to God in our worship. Give to the Lord glory and strength. And give to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Now I want to introduce to you what may be a radical idea about worship for some of you. Worship is not what you get when you come here. Worship is what you leave when you go. Do you understand that, brethren? Give to the Lord, give to the Lord glory and strength, and give to the Lord glory due unto His name. 
Most people, when they walk out of church, and this may be true of some of you, I don't really know, but when asked what they thought of the worship service, this is what some of them will say. Well, I I don't know. I I didn't get anything out of it. Well, that's a statement about that person, and it's not a good one, because the essence of worship is not what you get out of it, but what you give the Lord when you come here. Now, if the preacher is boring or unbiblical, and I'm sorry if that's the case, this is a sin and he should be run out of the ministry. But that shouldn't determine the worship you give. And whether the building you meet in is attractive or not shouldn't matter. Although just as our dress should be appropriate to meet our Almighty King, so should our place of worship. But again, that should not affect your worship. And it doesn't matter if we have a choir or if we know the hymns we are singing. The only thing that really matters in the worship of God is not the circumstances or the surroundings. But did I come here and give the Lord the glory due unto His name? If I did not, then I did not worship. Okay, so what are the grounds for our adoration of God, for our purpose to worship? Let me just run through a, through of them, a few of them in the book of Revelation. The grounds of our adoration for God, again, is, of course, His worthiness. But why is He so worthy? Well, for several reasons. He is holy. He is eternal. He is the creator of all things. For by Him and through Him and to Him are all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the reasons all things exist. And for thy pleasure... They were created, says the Scripture. He is the end of all things. He is the reason they exist in the first place. And He is the reason they exist, and that's for His pleasure. That makes Him worthy alone of our worship. But Revelation 5, 9 says, Christ was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. He has overcometh, and that makes Him worthy as well. And in Revelation 5, 13 it says, He is sovereign. We worship God because He is worthy, and He is worthy because He is holy, because He is eternal, because He is the creator of all things, the preserver of all things, the end of all things. He has overcome death. He has purchased His people with His own blood, and He is sovereign. That certainly makes Him worthy above all things of our worship. Stephen Sharnock again says, the more we grow in a sense of God's holiness the more we shall advance in all of our duties. Our reverence to God in all of our service to Him will increase if every act of duty is ushered in and seasoned with thoughts of God seated on a throne of holiness, His throne of purity. We shall have a better sense of our vileness, a greater ardor to serve Him, and a deeper respect when we are in His presence Unquote. What is he saying? He's saying that we wouldn't be as sloven in our worship, but would be more fervent in our worship if we would burn in our minds that God is seated on a throne of holiness and he commands us to be holy as he is holy. Lastly, we are to worship God 
because he demands it. In Deuteronomy 6.13, we are commanded to reverence him and to worship him. Matthew 4.10, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. Revelation 4.7, fear God, give him glory, and worship him. Why do we worship God? Because he is God. And as God, he deserves it. And because he deserves it, he demands it. That's the purpose of worship. How worthy is he? Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and riches and dominion forever and ever. That's how worthy it is. Now the question is, have you even begun to worship him? Again in Revelation 5, as the beast and the elders worship God, they fell down before him and worshiped him even more earnestly. The answer to worship is more worship. The more focused and intense your worship becomes, the more you're going to want to worship. William Beveridge, an 18th century Anglican, said this about worship. If I know anything of God and the worship and honor that is due unto him, we that live and move and have our being in him ought to be possessed with such an awe and dread such a fear and reverence of him as not to carry ourselves irreverently when in his presence, especially when he is speaking to us in his preached word or us to him in prayer and song. If any of you desire to manifest yourself to be truly godly indeed, you must be sure to lay aside all carelessness and indifference, much more all irreverence and rudeness in the presence and worship of God, and to perform all your acts of devotion to Him with all modesty and humility and all reverence and solemnity that you possibly can, as that which becomes those who believe themselves to be engaged in the highest act they are or can capable be capable of performing. Is that you? You see, your ideas about worship will dictate how you behave in it. If it's no big deal, that's how you'll treat it. But if you realize that Scripture says the act of worship is the most noble act of which a man is capable, then you will treat worship as something very, very special. Beloved, is that you? Or do you drag yourself to worship? Do you even prepare yourself to come before your almighty King? Do you come here half asleep wondering when this old preacher is ever going to end? Do you barely sing out God's praises? Or do you lift your voices up high? Do you pay attention to the prayers? Or does your mind wander off to what you're going to be doing later this afternoon? Do you spend the entire day in worship? Or is this hour and a half going to do it for you the rest of the day? Or do you truly love the Sabbath day? And the opportunity to join in union with your brothers and sisters, bringing honor and glory and reverence to He who gave His absolute all 
so that you would be free from sin and could worship him with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. Think about it. You are commanded by God to worship him. And he alone is worthy of your worship. And he wants every ounce of your being to worship him. Please, meditate on that this next week. And come here next week or wherever you may be to worship. And worship like you never have before. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.